Hello, this is Doug McPherson from Size 10 and a Half Boots, welcoming you to the latest edition of the Coffee Cast. A couple of weeks ago, we had Anne Harnetti on, who is the author of a new book that's just literally coming out at the moment called Merges with the Benefits of Hindsight, which looks at basically what Anne's learned from years and years of dealing with mergers and acquisitions in the legal sector. Um, we kind of ran out of time last time and there's still a few things that I wanted to ask so I put Anne on the spot rather unfairly and said would you come on again and feeling socially awkward because I put her in that position she said yes but miraculously she's turned up on the zoom call so I've, <laughs> I've, I've got her on the screen and welcome back how are you very well indeed thank you it's socially awkward no it does, that doesn't count <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks so much for coming back because as, as I said we didn't quite get a chance to talk through all the stuff and the stuff that we missed out is probably the bit that's closest to my heart which is it's the marketing and the branding type stuff and I know that's something that often causes a little bit of a disconnect when you've got two firms coming together and for the uh, for those of you listening in black and white, Anne's pulling a face as if, as if <laughs> agree that that is one of the stumbling and blocks. Statement. Yeah. <laughs> so just generally, just to kick us off, what? How do you choose the right name and the and the right brand? Should it be based on the legacy firm? Should it be something totally new? What's your experience? Well, let me try and get a little bit of context into this, really. And I've blatantly stolen this story from David Sparks of Milbourne Ross, and I've stolen it because it's so relevant to what we're about to talk about. And so David knows an accountant who always asks four challenging questions of owners who approach him if they're considering merger or acquisition. And his questions are, which firm will the managing partner come from? Who will your practice group or department heads be? Who will you make redundant and put their names on a list? And most importantly, are you prepared to change your name? Because people really hang on to the past yes. and the firm's name is part of it. And I was told this story by a friend, which for me is a perfect illustration of hanging on to names. So my friend worked in a shop um, and a man and his son went in when my friend was working and the boy totally polite, got his pocket money and went up and said, may I have a Snickers bar? And at which point, and to my friend's total horror, the father belted him round the head, kid crying the whole shebang and said, it's a marathon, son, and it always will be. So you just think, oh, there's <laughs> someone hanging on to that name and showing it. And you think, oh my gosh, but that's the perfect illustration. And, and law firms, seem to have a real phobia about changing their name. And it comes from the Law Society. Sorry, Law Society, but it does. Because before 1997, the Law Society rules required a firm to have an existing or past partner in its name. But they relaxed that rule in 1997. But 25 years on, when it comes to merger or acquisition, the possibility that the name may change after that is, just isn't contemplated. And firms always say it's because of the history of the name and it's a name their clients know. How will clients know who we are if we change our name? But the history is often exactly that, with no one from the original firm even being there. I can, and I can always hear the air sucking over deep. You <laughs> said what? And it is a really emotive topic, there's no doubt. Um, and that's maybe, I don't know, linked to the inherently political nature of partnerships. 
So what happens after a merger firm? Well, weirdly, typically, I should say, law firms' names are both quite long when you're trying to marry names together. But I have to say, I did... Well, my, fa- my favourite on there, was it CMS McKenna, Navarro, Nathanson, yep. Old Swang, on, something? On, on, on. Exactly. And there's one worse than that, Doug, because there's an <laughs> LA law firm, get this, whose name is Ziffrin, Brittenham, Branca, Fisher, Gilbert, Laurie, Stifelman, Cook, Johnson, Land and Wolf. 11 to the telephonist. <laughs> How do they get that onto a business card? I don't, does, <laughs> does it kind of come out like a little accordion? Or do they, do they A4. Teeny, tiny Lilliputian writing <laughs> to put it all in. It's just ludicrous. And that is typical after mergers. So you have two firms with long names, or even more than two firms, as you just quoted, um, and then they try and stick them together. And because it's a merger of equals, even though we know there's seldom a merger of equals in MA, one firm is usually dominant. They do it for good PR and it makes everyone feel better because they stick incorporating in the middle of it. So you've got two super long names bunging incorporating even longer. But both firms now feel they're on equal footing. And the rationale is that clients will know who they are and they'll all get used to it. So what happens then? They take the cost of everything that conjoining those names involves. They change their web page, the headed paper, the business cards, etc. And then a year later, they drop part of the name or they decide to use initials because it's just too long. And inevitably, those initials become a name in themselves. So anyone who remembers Matthew Arnold and Baldwin, it was always referred to as Mab Law. And one firm I spoke to in research for the book told me they actually were going to go down that route until, thank goodness, it was pointed out to them that WNKR was perhaps not ideal when said as a name rather than <laughs> initials. <laughs> and guess what? Then after a period of time, they rebrand it all over again, had a paper, website, business cards, etc., etc. And now they wait another year or two. And guess what? <laughs> they revert to the initial original name of the dominant firm. And if we could just let go of the history of the name and rebrand the new entity, you could actually have a marketing and communication plan that integrates a new name into your planning and it becomes an exciting prospect. And commercial firms do it all the time. So yeah. come on, look, we're going to have quiz time. Yeah, oh, just my word. Like You'll be great. Start for 10. I'm better in the pub than the quiz. <laughs> have you ever heard of Blue Ribbon Sports? No. Blue Ribbon no. Biscuits. I remember <laughs> at my granny's. Yeah, no, no, I'm sure they were delicious, but no, <laughs> this firm had 14 years as Blue Ribbon. And guess what? They rebranded as Nike. But oh. who remembers Blue Ribbon? No one. Let's try another one. What about Brad's Drinks? Stick in your mind? <laughs> Not at all. Don't tell me they're Coca-Cola. Very close. Pepsi-Cola. Oh, wow. Wow. Global success. <laughs> well done. I'm impressed. Okay, last one. What about Relentless? No. No, I'd never heard of it either, if I'm being honest. But Jeff Bezos had the vision to rebrand to Amazon because he knew what he wanted that firm to become. So you can make everyone proud of the new entity if you don't get territorial about the name. And rather than harbouring what was, perhaps you could concentrate on what is. And we hear all the time in MA where staff refer, refer to people as that lot 
even if the merger's gone on like 20 years ago, it can harbour huge resentment. So you need to make... I think that's a really important thing. And it's not... For me, it's not what is. It's what you want to be. And when we're working on value propositions for newly merged firms or even rebranding firms or whatever... Um, which is part of my contribution to to your book, Anne. Because do you know what? Everyone comes on here and plugs, so I'm going to have a quick plug. That's the chapter I wrote. But anyway, we always say that 20% of that is where you is and where you are, and 80% is your aspiration. Let's have a think about where you want to get to, and I think that should inform the name of the business that I you choose. Right, I totally agree, and you, and I think you should make both staff and clients feel proud of something new because most firms merge to gain advantage over a variety of areas yes. and and that's generally to gain clients and it does happen because in 1999 the Endeavour partnership was set up by four partners from a local Stockton on Tees firm um, and a lot of thought went into naming that new enterprise and Paul Berry he's a partner at the firm said they didn't want a traditional surname based name for two reasons the first reason was four surnames was too long and using only two could result in loss of reputation for those two not included. And secondly, the firm wanted a corporate name and they wanted it to be easy to remember and encompassing the way the firm intended to operate. And the choice of the Endeavour partnership reflects the way the firm wanted to do business with and for its clients and connected to its local roots. So we could have another question here, um, Doug, but I won't do it too, because mm-hmm. Captain Cook, would you believe, sailed from Stockton in the Endeavour and they wanted clients to associate them with a modern legal consultancy service and with the brand rather than those individual lawyers. So if you do stick to part of the original name, and that might be a great option, brand it from the beginning and stop adding cost for years and years because you're just trying to appear as other people. Absolutely. And, you know, another example, there's a law firm called Clarion in Leeds. I think they were one of the, the early adopters of, you know, pick a corporate name rather than name. go down the names. Um, and Definition IP in the Northeast as well. They, they want their name to stand for something. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely prime. And I, I know they've, they've done it with pride, obviously, which is great as well. Um, so kind of following on from the name, some of the other emotive things, marketing led, what about colours and fonts and logos? Should there be consistency in there or is it just rip the rule book up and like you say, <laughs> go for something new? Well, I'll have to say you can, but my caveat in all of this, I'm going to be controversial, is that you need a marketing director who makes it a priority because I don't want to believe it, these things don't happen because there are still firms that see marketing as a function that organises events and nothing more. Um, if you have a proper marketing and communication plan from the very start of the process, you can and will build enthusiasm from both staff and clients. So the proposition about the name changing, etc., is really exciting. And you can really ensure that people are enthused and energized about what's happening. But to do that, you need to communicate a vision of what you want that newly created firm to look like. And you need to know how to engage with staff at all levels to get you there. And it's not a question of telling people, this is our name, fait accompli. 
And you might modernize that name. You're right with uh, a change of color to something, you know, greens as millions, you know, do, do you change from one green to another? Font type is another one. You know, there are fonts, there's hundreds of hours of research done on, done on what font reads best, but you need take, to take people with you on that journey. So you need to find things that they're going to engage with. It might be blogs or webinars, but they've got to relate to it. So you overcome that resentment of anything changing, let alone the name, I think. And I do find it, I have to say, really quite odd that clients are always blamed for the fact the name can't possibly be changed because they won't know who we are. How can that happen? Why on earth are clients not being communicated with so well that they know exactly what's happening. They should know who their contacts are in the new entity. They should know the benefits that the merger will bring to them as clients. Um, as I said, I've said it before, because usually one of the main reasons for the merge anyway is to gain clients. And you can promote the name, and there's no doubt at all about who that firm are. And if clients really are front and centre of what you do, surely you'd be meeting them and exciting them about what the benefits of the merger will bring and at the same time, telling them about the name. But to do that, you have to ensure that everyone in the firm is excited and proud of that rebrand before you take it out to the wider public. And you need to have a distinct marketing plan. And I know I'm preaching to the converted here, Doug, but that should highlight the name and ensure that you're sending out consistent messages. Yes. Um, if, because if staff have an emotional connection to the old name uh, or even part of that name, it's incumbent on you to find a new emotional connection and build excitement about what's to come. And in a merger, you'll have to bring parties together of both firms on so many issues that making the name a priority and not an afterthought um, should be there because you shouldn't be worried about upsetting egos. You should be doing what's right for the new firm. How many law firms do you come across to tell you they're proud of their name? Wouldn't that be a, a great launch and an opening statement? We're really proud of our new name and logo, said with genuine pride. And I bet money on the fact the Endeavour Partnership did just that and some of the other firms you've mentioned. Um, and I spoke to a CEO as part of the research of the book, and he used an internal, an internal email really as a marketing tool to excite their staff after the merger. Now, their firm were moving to new offices and he decided he was going to write a weekly blog because he knew that de uh, delays would be inevitable with builders. So he sent something out that was quite lighthearted and humorous about the new building. And if there were delays, he told everyone what they were and why they were happening. And by doing that, he stopped that rumor mill clicking in. And he told them about the firm's new name. He told them about the firm's new color scheme. He told them about the colors they'd rejected and he really built anticipation, you know, even, even down to the names of the, the meeting rooms. Yes. And even if the, his email was a day late, he'd have people popping up and asking him why. And by using this really simple method, he ensured he had everyone at all levels involved and excited. They couldn't wait to get into that new building and see for themselves what was happening. And like most law firms, they moved in in phases so he used that to elevate excitement levels. So staff who hadn't moved across constantly asked when they would. And he took it right down to his reception staff in new uniforms, in their new colour scheme. And he had them photographed and smiling because they loved what was happening. And they say you can judge a firm by its receptionists because 
they made that first impression and they they really really did and I suspect and this doesn't happen that you could tell trusted or key clients quite early in the process about the merger and get them excited at the same time because people love being involved and it actually sends a signal that you trust them I mean how many coffees breakfasts lunches meetings do lawyers have with their clients and what what better way to send out a consistent message about marketing your new firm. Remember, though, that the messages you use have to be consistent. And if you're gradually getting back into the office and offer Zoom and Teams, then what a great reason to meet clients in person to tell them what's going on. Because in my industry, if I put my recruitment hat on, I've had people over years and years say to me, I don't care which firm you work for, I follow you. And it's that old adage, isn't it? People buy people. Yes. It's different for lawyers. And now's the time, if you're merging, to really elevate your client relationships because personal relationships make you stand out. Because when firms get bigger, I think people start to think it's an institutional relationship. However, we know you can tailor your approach to your clients, make it feel personal, and you've actually listened to their concerns. And clients need to understand the value of what it is you can bring them after the merger. And you need to understand your own brand proposition, because if the merger talks have been announced, if you can expand your story to your network, people love being involved and it just makes them feel valued. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, I mean, I agree totally with the reception point and Bernard and I moan, witter, prattle on about that all the time. You really can. It is your first impression. You get that wrong. My favourite one, when you walk in, 8.30 in the morning at the other end of the country, do you have an appointment? No, I thought I'd just chance it. Just rock up and hope you'd see me. Exactly. Are you a client? Do I need to be? That's that's another that one. That's crazy. And actually, do you know, as part this of right. the research, yeah, I had a managing partner say to me, he just goes quietly into a firm and sits in the reception and he listens to how the receptionists moan. He said, if they're just up and at it and really happy, I know I'm merging with a great firm. And if I hear them moaning and whinging, I'll try and get them, but it's really impossible. Yeah. Have you got an appointment? Are you sure you're at the right time? He, he says, I think they don't communicate with these staff. They don't, they don't get them, it. And they've got no idea what's happening. And it, he said it always gives him that kind of red alert button. So that they're, they're a brilliant sort of benchmark of what's to come, I think. And you've also earned yourself two big ticks on the 10 and a half bingo card, which is consistency and messaging and put them together for tip number three, a consistency of message. So if I can go back to that idea about having a solid value proposition for the new firm, given that the two firms merging could be slightly different in terms of culture, history, approach, even practice areas, how do you suggest they create that value proposition that best promotes what they want to be and where they want to get to so that you've got the consistency of message going out all the way internally and externally on the run-up to the launch of the new brand? I think it starts right from the beginning with with the the strategy for why do you want to merge? Yeah. got to be better than both legacy firms to get partners with you on that journey. And that's where it starts. What What is our brand proposition now if we go to market? What have we done for two firms to merge that people go, wow, they didn't have that before? And once you've decided that... You can take that story down through every layer of the firm. So it has to come down through partners who absolutely understand 
what it is they voted for with the merger, number one. And then you take it down through every member of staff. So they they are proud of that new entity and they understand what it is. And that's so closely wrapped to culture, it's unbelievable. But the problem with culture is most people don't recognise what they have as culture. And if you think about culture, every message you send out and communicate is tied into your culture if you you must sit all the time on firms websites that's a prime example do do you refer only to your lawyers that's the first thing on the website do you refer to other staff or non lawyers and you just think wow what they're non people because they're, they're not a lawyer but you know here's that journey by by using that those sort of words you think wow and i've been asked to speak um quite soon at a function and it's interesting that they've put out on the in, in the sort of blurb um non legal staff and i think oh i've got to say something about that because that's just ludicrous you what's that steerage <laughs> it's just like what's that all about and if you think about that that helps to define what message you want to send out and then it starts to pull a decent culture together. So, Anne, absolute masterclass as usual. Um, thanks so much for sharing all that insight. But now that you're an old hand at coffee casting, you know that we always like to end with three top tips. So what are your three top tips for creating a, a name and a brand for a new law firm? Well, number one, I'd say have a marketing director who's fit for purpose. Don't think they're just a function you don't need. Have a marketing plan and a plan on how you're going to communicate it to bring people together. And you'll like this, Doug. Use consistent messages and excite staff at all levels. That consistency of messaging, it it always excites this member of staff, I can tell you. And I just wish more people would take it more seriously. And thanks again ever so much for coming back on. Pleasure. Um, Do you want to give the book a quick? plug in date retailers name website you you go for it because i know it's coming out really really soon thank you thank you it's out on the february the 22nd it's called mergers with the benefit of hindsight uh the link is already up on amazon it's, it's saying it's not in stock till the 22nd but it's there and i think if you want a, a guide that will challenge your thinking and just from a more importantly it's insight from a group a peer group of managing partners it should be a compelling guide for you fantastic um good luck with the launch of the book i'm looking yep. forward to getting my copy uh and finding out more about mergers with the benefit of hindsight thanks doug really appreciate it that's all from this episode of the coffee cast thanks ever so much for listening as always if you want to help yourself to our white papers top tips and a whole load of other range of practical BD and marketing tips, please go to 10.5.co.uk and you'll find under resources and blog a whole load of stuff that you can use to win new work. If you would like to be a guest on an upcoming coffee cast, please email me at douglas at 10.5.co.uk. And likewise, if there's any subjects you want us to cover in future episodes, just drop me a line as well. But until the next one, cheerio. Cheerio.